There we go. Jiminy Christmas. That was ridiculous. I don't know what was going on there. I don't either. All right. What we sound like. You sound pretty good. You sound good. All righty. What the hell episode are we on? This is nine. That's right. All right. This is... This is Country. I am one half of the show, and we are back again to stick it in. And I am here with my co-host. This is Jules, and we're ready to fuck this shit up. That's right. We have a special episode today. We're going to talk about a great American hero. Before we get started on this, I want to tell you about an amazing discovery I just found while I was waiting on this. This guy converted an M1 Garand to fully automatic with a drum. Oh, damn. And now I want one. <laughs> but that sounds started like with the show. <laughs> right? Today's episode is going to be on something that country is really, really adamant about. And that is Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman Killer. Factamundo. <clears throat> and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to help me out a little bit here. I'm wanting to say he started in what the the '60s or was it the '70s that he started as a professional uh, hitman? I believe it was around the around the '70s. Um, That's what I was thinking. But you know, he did this for years and years. I mean, he's credited for for tons of well, not tons, but obviously hundreds of kills. Um, he even claimed to be with the crew that hit Jimmy Hoffa, and that's why can't nobody find him. Um, fun little side note before we get in the story, he jokingly told in his book that uh, Jimmy Hoffa got crushed up in a car and shipped overseas, and uh, Jimmy Hoffa's inside of a Toyota somewhere. <laughs> and that's pro- that Toyota's probably still running. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. But, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, I'll – to. I guess great American hero isn't the, isn't the, the, the words y'all would really describe. Yeah. But with me, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. It become an obsession of mine kind of. And um, I just, I learned everything there was to know, you know, and some of it I've forgotten. I need to listen to the book again. And then I could literally do like a week's worth of shows on this shit. There will probably be a follow-up episode to this one. Oh, I'm sure we're going to have to do a part two of episode nine, I'm just saying. Off the top of my head right now, if my memory serves me correctly, he himself has claimed responsibility for like, I'm wanting to say it was it was definitely over 100. I'm thinking it was somewhere in the 200, 250 range. It was... It was well over 100 because throughout the course of his career, um, nobody will ever know the exact figure. He really couldn't give them an exact figure. He, But throughout the course of his career to hone his skills, he uh, went from New Jersey over into like Manhattan and areas and he just kind of walked around. And I know this is bad, but he, he waited for somebody to screw with him. And then when they did, he killed them. And when he did kill them, he killed them different every time it's not like he was constantly carrying a gun around and that's what threw police off for years and years and years they just thought it was you know a random killing 
And even if he killed like 20 people, it still looked random to them. I think we need to back up just a little bit. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I think we need to start from the beginning on Richard here. Yeah. Uh, once again, not 100% sure on this age. I'm thinking he was he was definitely preteen the first time he killed a motherfucker. He killed a neighborhood bully, um, beat him to death with basically a pipe. He, um, but you know, in my, in my humble opinion, I believe the bully was kind of deserving of it because he literally was like the neighborhood bully. Nobody missed this guy. I mean, nothing ever become of looking for him. Um, but you know, we can back up even further. The story goes that when Richard was born, you know, he was born to a Polish father, um, which was an alcoholic and severely angry all the time. And he just beat the living shit out of him and his brother. And his mom was like diehard Catholic and was pretty much the same way. And, you know, I never really thought about it. You know, everybody always says, well, you know, something happened to make these people this way. And I always thought, you know, killers, especially like serial killers were born that way. And with him, that wasn't the case. I mean, he, he was clearly made that way because his, his father beat the living shit out of him and um, his brother and his father actually killed his brother in front of him. And then he pretty much wasn't even allowed to ask questions about his brother or even mourn him um, at the funeral. And of course, you know, like you said, his mother was pretty, pretty hard on him too. And a lot of people blame um, his father and it, it was not just his father. Cause I mean, his hell, his mother beat the shit out of him too. And uh, like right. you said, you know, he, his dad killed his fucking, his brother in front of him, beat the shit out of him and, you know, literally killed him. And uh, you know, his mother covered up for, you know, his dad. Right. But you know, funny story Richard told about his dad while we're on the subject. And I always, I found it amazing. Uh, but he, to give you an idea of what kind of, what kind of person his dad was, uh, these neighborhood kids like beat the shit out of Richard when he was little and Richard ran home and he ran in the house and he told the, he, you know, his dad's like, what the hell are you doing? And he explained what was going on. And his dad said, if you don't get out there and deal with it, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Well, uh, and like I said, Richard told this firsthand, he, uh, he goes outside and he starts getting the best of them two kids and the boys, those kids, daddy runs across the street and like slaps the shit out of Richard. Well, Richard's dad had seen it. And he jumped from a second story window and landed on the ground and smacked the living shit out of that guy and told him, you didn't want to do nothing when your boys were beating up on mine. But when he started beating up on them, now you want to, you know, get involved in this. So I think, I think Richard hated his dad for everything by the way he described but like that one thing he held on to as a good thing because it's pretty much the only fucking good thing his dad ever did for him yeah that was the only time i think as far as you know richard tells that his dad ever did anything good for him yeah that's a fact and uh so we're at the neighborhood bully um 
later, you know, and, and he did do some torturing us some animals. I mean, the signs were there, just nobody cared to look. Well, the, the thing was, he had no intentions of killing this kid, though. You know, he just wanted to fucking get get his, you know. He's taken, you know, years of abuse from this motherfucker, and he just wanted to get his and get, you know, a little bit of, um, I guess, redemption, you could say. And he just got carried away with it. And then that's when it just it just went downhill from there, you know, for Richard. He enjoyed it, you know, especially the yeah. fact that he got away with it. If he hadn't got, if he had, you know, if he hadn't gotten away with it, Richard probably wouldn't have turned out the way he did. No, but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, and I think that's where I think that's where it all kind of snapped into place for him because he felt better after he did that, regardless of the reason and the fact that he just took somebody's life. He actually felt better, and. uh so he was kind of like, okay, well, you know, fuck it <laughs> at that point. And uh, he actually started a neighborhood gang called the Coming Up Roses pretty much not too long after that. Um, at that time, his dad had already kind of left the picture. It was just him and his sister and I think a little, yeah, a little brother and uh, his mom and his mom turned out to be an adulteress and Richard hated her for that. Up until then, he was pretty good with his mom until he figured that out. And uh, when he called her messing around with a married guy, he, uh, he was pretty much done with her at that point because, you know, she'd been shoving the Catholic church and everything else down his throat all these years. And now here she is in his eyes being a fucking whore. Yeah. And, uh, Man, I had I had a, a direction to take this, and then you threw me off with that. <laughs> oh, um, the coming up roses uh, gang. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's where I was going with it. Um, and it wasn't like they just run around fucking, you know, beating the shit out of motherfuckers and murdering people. They started. I mean, his his. I guess you could say his crime career started. I guess you could say it started with the little kid, but you know, then when he he created the coming up roses. They was just hitting houses, stealing shit, shit like that. Trucks. Yeah. You know, just like in the movie Goodfellas, they were actually hijacking loads of shit, like mm. Casio watches and, and stuff like that, which brings me to a really fucked up story later. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. We got we to gotta get there first. Um, yeah. When in... What I think is crazy about how he got his start, I mean, how he really, truly got his start with the mob, mafia, whatever, is, you know, they were like, they just heard that this was a cold motherfucker. And uh, was it Roy? Um, no, it was, um, no, Roy, he didn't meet till later. Jesus, I should have done my research. Yeah. Fucking Italian names. Uh, it was I, the mob, the mob boss that got him started. You know, he yeah. heard about how cold that Richard was, and he wanted to test it. So they hop in the car, they go down to the slums, hands him a pistol, and they drive up on this homeless dude. And he's like, "Go cap that guy." And what the fuck's Richard do? Walks right up to him and caps that motherfucker. Didn't skip a beat. <laughs> 
Right. And Richard's crew actually give him give him pretty much the whole ice cold name there, you know, cold as ice, an ice man. And uh he just that just kind of stuck with him, you know. And everybody wanted him to do work because he was good. He got it done. It didn't matter. But um, with the Coming Up Roses gang, you know, he was in the criminal life. And then they got, I guess, what he referred to was, or his gang referred to as their big break. They actually got to do some mob work. And they were supposed to hit. And how that actually come about, it actually wasn't a homeless dude. They were supposed to hit this guy. And his crew, one of his crew members, like the, the BF, the BMF at the time and the crew was like, I got this rich. Don't worry about it. And, uh, so they roll up on the guy and he literally couldn't do it. And so they missed their window and Richard's like, fuck man, what the hell? And he's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. So they, they meet the window again and sure enough, this guy couldn't do it. And Rich is like, damn it. Give me the gun. He took it from him and he just walks up and pops dude. And yeah, that thinking, that kind of the movie that's that's what that was. Yeah, that's how they portrayed it in the movie. Right, and that's not that's not particularly the book was actually from the Richard Kuklinski interviews. The movie was kind of twisted for Hollywood hand jobs, basically. Yeah. So they got their big break, and uh, that went over good. Over time, the Coming Up Roses gang got to do more and more work, but a lot of the guys turned to drugs, and it started becoming a problem. And then so Richard started popping off his own crew because he really didn't have a choice. I mean, and he hated it. He hate. Here's the thing. Unless he was actually contracted to kill somebody, he didn't want to kill people. He really tried not to, you know. He gave these guys the benefit of the doubt. He tried working with them, and they just wouldn't do right. And he knew if one of them got popped, they would all get pinched because they would talk. Mm-hmm. So he had to do it. And there was one of the, you know, and there was a lot of the, you know, a lot of stories in the book and in the movie. And I think the, the one time that our truly felt bad for Richard was when one of his boys, well, his his old crew, I think it was coming up Roses, held up uh-huh. one of the mob bosses. Uh, wasn't it a poker game? Yeah. And, you know, the, the boss told him, he's like, look, man, you've got to take him out. He said, because if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. You're going to go down too. And he had to kill his best friend. And I think that was one of the times, like, and I, I did, I felt bad for, for Richard for, you know, when he, when he was telling that, and that he had to kill his best friend. Cause but you could was, tell you could, was, in the interview, you could hear in his voice, he didn't want to do it. Good. But I mean, it come down to, you know, it's either him or you, man. And Richard going to keep on, you know, being Richard. So Richard did what he had to do. <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, I think most people in that situation, if it comes down to you or them, it's going to end up being them. Yeah. I can agree uh, with that. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and then so he gets – so now at this point in time, the coming up roses is pretty much kaput because of that incident as well. Uh, I'd forgotten about that good catch. And um, 
so now he's really working with the mob at this point and they're they're giving him more and more work and you know they like it because of the way he does things and it's extremely creative on some of the ways he does things but the one thing he never go ahead he was a no-nonsense dude that's for sure yeah yeah but the one thing that that he he said never made sense to him was the way the Italians did things. You know, I mean, a guy a guy got caught laundering money, and they wanted him to kill him and shove his credit card up his ass. Yeah, and he made, like, Wait, you really want me to do this? <laughs> he made the quote "fucking Italians." I don't get it, but you know, <laughs> but you know, he was paid. Back then, I mean, like the Italians did shit like that. Yeah, they they sent a message. So yeah, uh, I'm trying to figure out. I don't want to. I don't want to jump too far ahead and have to backtrack. But you know what right. I really well, want to talk about. We're, I know, but we're staying pretty close to it. So the time frame, um. You know, and, and he was real big on, on hunting, and that's how he honed his skills on being quiet and, you know, sneaking up on people. And they said to be as big a guy as he was, he was an extremely agile and cat-like. He could just sneak right up on you. You'd never hear him coming till it was too late. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to hit on real quick because to those that don't know who Richard is, he six six foot, like, Two what? Two forty? Two fifty? He's a big dude. Yeah, I think he was like six six or six four or something like that. Yeah, he was a massive <clears throat> fucking dude, and he could he could sneak up on you and you'd never fucking know it till you know he was dead. So that's impressive in its own right there. Right. Well, one of the favorite things that he likes to do was uh was to like set up being broke down. He would he would he would follow his people and he would study them, you know, his hits. And so he would set up somewhere being broke down or trying or having a flat tire and he would flag them down. But Hey man, you got a jack. And when they got out to, or whatever he needed, you know, when they got out to look, he would pretty much just kind of knock them in the head, toss them in their own trunk and take off in broad daylight. And nobody ever seen this shit. And that's, the, that's, that's one of the, the things that just fucking amazes me about him. And that's why he was so successful is because he was such a, a, a thought-driven person, you know. He would plan this shit out for – it didn't matter how long it took. He wasn't one of these, you know, flying off the seat of his pants and just doing whatever. No, he was very meticulous about this shit. Yep. Yeah. And that's why he was good at what the fuck he did. That's why everybody wanted him. That's a fact. He was working for like four or five different families. Because they all wanted him as a hitman. Because they knew he'd get the job done right. And there would be no no tracing him. You know. And not to mention, you know, working for Roy DeMio's crew as well. Or working with them. So bad motherfucker all around. Yeah, I mean, and during all this is let me let me tell y'all a story, okay? And this is what really got me was 
and it, this doesn't take anything away from, you know, later show. Because uh, obviously this is going to be a couple different parts. But this is the one story that really grabbed me about him. He was off just taking a stroll, looking for somebody to hone his skills on. And he was just on the other side of Jersey on the docks walking. And he kept hearing somebody cry out. And he walks around the corner. And there's this is like early 70s, I think. There's two truck drivers raping a little boy on the shipping dock. Richard never said a word. He pulled his pistol and he shot both of them guys. Yeah. Because he that's the one thing he wouldn't tolerate. You know, chil- children and women. women children. No. Yeah, women or children, no go. I'm not doing it. And so he basically saves this little boy and he kneels down and he tells the boy, he says, look, he says, you can never tell anybody about what happened to you. He said, just know that they will never hurt you again or anybody anybody else. And the little boy run off and it never got reported. So, you know, after, after pretty much him telling the story about saving that kid, you know, I was hooked because obviously he was cold. He was calculated. You know, he was a killer. But at the end of the day, he also had a pretty decent moral compass. For the most part, yeah. And I mean, some of the shit he did on his jobs, and, you know, we'll get into that too, but I promise. Because uh, I don't want to take away, I want to kind of walk you through the story is is it's foretold in the book, but, um, and, and in the movie, you know, just his life in general, but, uh, Shit, I lost my train of thought. He's talking about his moral compass. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll see that there's a lot of stuff he won't do, but you know, at the same time, you're like, holy shit, because some of his jobs and to the extent he goes, I mean, you know, um, and stuff that he did to people that he really didn't want to have to. They made him do it. I mean, they literally forced his hand. And he basically begged them, hey, don't make me do this. And they did it anyway. And Jules knows which story I'm talking about. And I promise we'll get into that. But that is not for the faint of heart. So just know there's a really graphic scene that we're going to talk about later. And several. uh, several. Yes, several. And you may not want to... uh, be involved in those and if you don't i apologize just bear with me let me get all this out of my system and we'll get back to business as usual you know and who knows i may we might just decide to spread it out a little bit and do a funny show next time and then come back to this and that way it's not so much whatever yeah because i mean this one is kind of taking a different direction but i mean it's it's one thing that me and country have talked about several times and it's just something we both enjoy talking about, so. <laughs> that makes me sound really sick, don't it? But, uh, well, I mean, how does that make me sound? We're, I, we both enjoy talking about it, so, bro, I mean. I mean, I guess I'm more in awe, y'all, of, of just the man in general. You know, and like I said, his moral compass. 
how he was created because he, I, I truly believe that that man was created to be the monster he was and by his, by his parents. And, you know, anybody that knew how screwed up they was should have helped those kids a long time ago because all of them went down a terrible path. Yeah, they really did. Especially his brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a fact. But that's later. So where was we at? Okay, he just started working for the mob. He was some hits in. Um. All right, we got five minutes, so we'll drop this one. So as he's working for the mob, um, somebody did something to a mob boss's niece. They raped her. And and they shouldn't have done that. So the hit got put out with Richard. Hey, we want you to take care of this, and we want this guy to suffer. Well, Bucks County out in uh, Pennsylvania is where Richard done all his hunting, and he'd found some caves up there, and he'd been throwing steak and meat off in there because there was rats in it, and he wanted to see what rats would do to people. So they wanted the guy to suffer and they wanted to see him suffer. So at the time, Richard's actually working for making porn and uh, at like a studio. So he takes the camera equipment, sets it up in this cave, goes, kidnaps the guy, takes him to the cave, ties him up in the chair, starts the camera equipment and leaves. Well, they didn't go into a lot of detail, but you can imagine what happened with that because he took the tape to the mob boss to show him. And as he watched the tape, he pretty much got sick. <laughs> even if, him alive. It even fucked Richard up to watch it <laughs> you know uh but yeah basically the rats just kind of come up and they would run away and then they would come up and then they would run away and then one of them come up and took a bite out of him and they realized that he couldn't go nowhere so then they all come up and started taking bites out of him and richard said that they actually picked his bones clean there was nothing nothing on that set of bones but teeth marks obviously that's got to be, I mean, I could not imagine getting eaten alive. You know how long that would fucking take? Especially by rats, yeah, and they, they're going to start low. Uh, that would definitely be. Not even that. I mean, they're rats. I mean, yeah, there's some big rats, but they're still not going to be able to get that much at a time. So I, I imagine this was a several-day process. Could you imagine laying there and, like, you ain't got no fucking foot because a rat done ate the son bitch, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I would think that, in all honesty, and they didn't they didn't really tell that, you know, how long it took him to die. Um, but I would think that he would have, like, died of shock or stress, you know, maybe had a heart attack or something before it got – you know, before he actually was there for days or, you know, well, even sure 24 hours. I'm sure that's the case. But, I mean, at the same time, though, 
you know he was still conscious and feeling some of it for quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. And I figure what happened was he probably got to thrashing around at some point and knocked the chair over. And then once he was on the ground, that was it. They just kind of swarmed him. Well, I think he was already on the ground. I don't think he tied him up in a chair. I was thinking I was thinking he did, but I could be wrong. But either way, on the ground, tied up in a chair, fuck that. That would still be a horrible way to go. That is a terrible fucking way to go. You know, I can't, and I'm going to be honest with y'all, I can't swim a lick. So I've always had a fear of drowning, you know. I mean, to me, drowning would be the, the worst way to go because it, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not going to be able to get away if I fall, you know, do anything if I fall in. So, uh, my whole rule of thumb is I stay the fuck out the water. <laughs> so, but you know, I could imagine that right there is probably a hell of a lot worse than drowning. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it would. Cause, and they've talked to people like that have drowned and then they've been able to bring them back. And supposedly it's really peaceful. You know, it sucks at first, you know, cause obviously you're in fucking hailing, you know, water and you can't breathe. But they said, like, that point right before you die, it's supposed to be really peaceful. I'm not going to test this theory. So <laughs> we're going to take the word for it. Well. Yeah, I imagine, you know, like, my fear is being buried alive, you know, and suffocating. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to choose that over getting eaten alive by motherfucking rats. No doubt, no doubt. Well, you know, we, we've kind of touched base. Me and him's talked on this topic. Uh, we've give our opinion. You uh, consummate your own opinion here. And uh, we're at that 30-minute mark. So I'm going to call it, and we will come back for part two of this because uh, we're only a quarter way into this. I mean – just scratched the surface on this. Yeah. We've just scratched the surface. And like I said, we may mix it up with y'all, go back to our normal routine bullshit, and then come back to this. Um, if y'all don't want me to do that, hit me up on the fan page or hit us up on the fan page, message us. Uh, you can leave a voice message on Anchor for me. Um, and we'll keep going with this. But otherwise, you know, we may mix it up a little bit. So... Until next time, and watch out for part two of this particular series, I am Country. And I'm Jules. Don't get eaten by no motherfucking rats. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And we are pulling out. That is all, folks.